so much the neutral zone a star trek podcast by ladies where we talk about star trek loudly and at great length i am your host cream joined as ever by my co-host the wonderful kim hello and the perfectly adequate ari hello and welcome to 2015 yeah <laughs> that's probably gonna happen a few more times this uh, month. that and i am going to replace gothos with athos <laughs> Many, that's, many, many that's times. I was actually, when we we take notes when we watch this episode, staring at the screen, screen that said the Squire of Gothos as I was writing down the Squire of Athos. Every single time. No good reason. Welcome to episode 17. <laughs> we are talking about the Squire of Gothos. <laughs> Not Athos, who is a musketeer. Yes. Yeah. Um, which... And or a planet in Stargate Atlantis. Where were planets in Stargate Uranus? Athos? That's where Tail is from. Yeah, that's where oh, Tail is from. Tail the is in Yeah. Oh. Well, now I don't feel as dumb. I was making a very clever there Stargate reference. So this is our third episode dealing with a superhuman human with magical abilities. And issues with morality. Can we just take a moment? Why three? We're 17 in episodes in. Yeah. I know, it's like they have like three different villains. Superpowers, petulant man-child. Although this one is genuinely an alien. As far as we know, he is a blob. Um, like or a green light. blob. Yeah, but I mean, Gary Marshall was... Gary Marshall and Charlie X are both, I'd say kind of like ostensibly human. They started out as They human. started as humans and then they gained powers. And this yeah. is just one that has powers. But what the heck is their obsession with this? I don't know. It's easy. It's it confounds them because there's nothing the crew can do about it except try and confoozle the villain, <laughs> confoozle and bamboozle. Yeah, I want to take this. a stab at it and say that it has something to do with the fear of being the Cold War Russian Superman. Oh, <laughs> well, could because you know they're programmed to make humans better and breed better human beings. Um, think about like the Olympics or something like that. And the fear that your rational, average human being could not compete against that. Hmm. Maybe. Well, I mean, is that the also thing that was like, I think it's like two episodes ago or something, we had Shore Leave, where it's yeah. essentially the same thing. It's like, oh my gosh, superhuman stuff just magically appears and we have to try and figure out why and how to, how to basically, how to get around magic. It is. Like, for a science fiction television show, we haven't actually seen a lot of science fiction. Well, also, the other two superhuman people who, you know, started out as human, the, the, the way that they ultimately stopped them was to talk them back to acting like human beings. Oh, he did not talk Gary Marshall down. He no, just no. beat him but until... this one, because they're not, he's not a human. Or, well, Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall was human. Charlie X started as a it human. It wasn't Marshall, but Mitchell. <sighs> but, God. no, he talked, her, he talked, um... I forget her Elizabeth. Name. He talked Elizabeth back to being human. And that's how he defeated Gary. In this case, it's an alien, and they defeat them by basically acting like humans, and the alien doesn't understand. Oh, they defeat they them. them by waiting around until mom and dad show up. They, they actually don't defeat this character. No. Like, 
Like um, all the victories that yeah. they win over them is because he doesn't really understand human beings. I would argue that he does. Yeah. I think he actually does understand human beings. He just is awful. He is. Well, he's a petulant, omniscient alien who child. doesn't, yeah, child who doesn't yes. have to, who's literally been left here by his parents to play for a little while. And sees humans as essentially we see ants or dolls or dolls. Yeah. dolls. So it's like he got a book on Rome and decides he's going to play act <laughs> Rome. Yeah, he, he's he's the hardcore LARPing. Yeah. <laughs> it is, of course, we cannot talk about this episode without talking about Q. We can't. No, we can't. Because this is basically the birth of Q. Yes. yes. The weird messy placenta splattered beginnings, <laughs> beginnings yeah. of Q. And, and I mean, that's something that we're seeing a lot though, is we see something in original series. Yes. That eventually is the basis for something that becomes bigger in mm-hmm. the other series. And more mm-hmm. subtle. Yeah. Um, and so, and, um, so in that way I'm, I'm kind of enjoying this is, is watching the evolution of, of ideas and thoughts and stuff. So yeah, this is definitely the beginnings of Q. Yeah. And I think that the writers of the next generation did a superb job taking this idea that it's an omnipotent being that can do whatever it wants. It yeah. can create um, matter out of energy. It has no limitations whatsoever. Yeah. And how how it would deal with humanity, how it would view humanity, and how humanity would essentially deal with it. Because you're powerless. Yeah. You're completely powerless. Although in this case, he needs to use a machine to achieve that. Which I still think is really odd. Like, I found that it's, dissonant. It's bizarre coming off the back of shore leave. Yeah. Which yeah. is essentially the same thing. Yeah. A very special machine. But I feel like they had to put that in in order for there to be a third act. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Without yeah. it, like, you have to have something for them you to have discover to some kind them. of weakness. Yes. yes. Because in Shore Leave, the machine is, is the deus ex machine at the end. Yeah. That that kind of neatly ties everything up. Oh, it was our amazing technology that oh was so God. far in advance. The deus actually literally comes out of the machina. Well, the machina underground. It's, it's machina ex machina. It's the machine mm. in mm. the machine from yeah. the machine that is the machine. This yeah. one is parents ex machina. Yeah, <laughs> the parents in the machine. Yeah. So we begin our journey. It is star date two one two four point five, and they are in what makes no sense to me. They call it a space desert. Star desert. Star desert. No, it's a void. This is just a stretch of space with no stars? Yeah. It's, there's nothing in it. I'm curious to know how big a stretch of space has to be before you declare it a star desert. Surely space is just... You get... Well, that's... Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't actually notice where they were. I first thing I noticed was the space human handing out space coffee. Yes. The oh, yes. new, um, new space round. coffee. Yes. yes. New round. Um, but yeah. the space desert thing is interesting because I think is it like season four? Four or season five of Voyager starts that way too, where they're in they're in a desert. There's no stars. There's nothing. They're just in this giant void, and everybody's really depressed. The void. (laughs) Oh yes, that's right. Catherine Janeway's been in her quarters for like a couple of weeks. And Harry Kim playing what sad oboe, sad clarinet. And Chakotay basically goes to Janeway and he's like, "You can't be sad all the time." And she's like, "It's my ship. I will be sad if I want to." (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we spend about, what, four or five minutes talking about what is a desert? Which is a ridiculous conversation to be having at this point. Yeah, so this new round, new round, oh. is handing out blue space coffee. 
I would just like to take a moment to think about hot liquids around All those tiny, delicate electronics. Especially since this is like 60s Star Trek where there are actual dials and buttons and, and switches. At the, at the be slightest much... nudge, yeah. everyone goes screaming over into another corner. <laughs> but we all have open, open coffee. Yeah, they around. don't even have lids on them. No. This isn't even like early aughts computer lab at a university rules. They're just open cups. Yeah. Well, I have my cup of tea over my desk all the time. But you are not flying a flying spaceship. spaceship. <laughs> and this is true. Like, as, as I'm sure we've all destroyed a laptop slash computer slash screen slash desktop um, by having hot liquids around them. But we are by no means piloting anything. Yeah, apparently they have not learned that in the 23rd century. Yeah, so they have this bizarre dictionary definition of what is a desert. And Spock calls it a waterless wasteland, which I think is a little bit more fanciful than the dictionary allows. I think so, yes. Yeah. I guess, is this also before we've established that Vulcans have come from a desert planet? Yeah, I think so. Because that's I have that written down. All of Vulcan is desert? Well, and they talk about the romance of the desert. What romance? <laughs> it's awful. Um, I guess it's all the wide open spaces and starry nights and blooming cactus. I don't and know. death? <laughs> death. Cold and hot death at the same time. <laughs> there is no, Tatooine is not a place like a vacation destination. It is the worst place. It is a place you want to escape from. Rum. Yeah, that is true. Nah, nah, nah. And there's a nice little bit of banter, and then they talk about space displacement, and it turns out that this desert is not so deserty after all. Because hey, look, a planet. Oh. There's always a planet. You know what? That is true. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't true. matter where we go, what we do, there will always be a planet. Yes, there's no records of this planet in the computers, and Kirk says, well, isn't that weird? No time to investigate. We have to get to Beta 6. They almost. They, I mean, they try to do the reasonable thing this time. Which is funny, because in, I think, an episode, two episodes before, yeah. last episode, oh no, science first. Yeah, yeah. that's like I said. Appar- Kirk was being petulant, and he had to science, well, because... apparently they have standing orders to in- to investigate, what was it, black holes, but not mysterious planets that we have no record of. That appeared out of nowheresville? Yeah. In yeah. the middle of a void. Okay, Kirk, Starfleet. Sure. Kirk didn't have any man to rebel against in this, so <laughs> we're fine. Move yeah. on. We'll get there. But they're trying to move on. They're trying to when Sulu mysteriously disappears. Bing. No one is as surprised about this as they should be. <laughs> no, they're all just sort of like, uh, that was weird. Yeah, literally. I huh. think I think Spock twitches an eyebrow. Well, Spock's not a really good metric of surprise. Well, everyone else is like, well, huh? Isn't that? Odd. And Kirk gets up to sort of what wave his hand in the space where yes, Sulu is standing. Just to make sure he hasn't been turned invisible. And then he also goes boop and disappears. It's so, <laughs> <that's> so <laughs> ridiculous. You forget about original Trek. It's just the, the idea of boing, boing. Yeah. And we've got a plot here, people. <laughs> Let's roll. And so Spock emergently calls him for an emergency, which is a good point. And I think if I were in charge, and ladies, I would like to put this to you, would you not hightail it out of there? 
uh, when my crew members have just been boinged away. No, I'd probably stick around to make. <laughs> I would probably stick around to make sure they hadn't been boinged to the planet. Seeing how or that empty, would be the, the reasonable location to find them. Yeah, but at any point, your entire crew could get boinged out of there, and so you'd be left with no one to boing, and then you they might boing someone <laughs> important. They already did boing someone important. They can function without Sulu and Kirk. They can definitely function without yeah, Kirk. Yeah, but what if they <laughs> got, like, the space janitor who's the only one who knows how to rub those couplings good? <laughs> like, <laughs> what if? <laughs> oh, dear lord. Why are they not freaking out? Um, because instead, they spend four hours rotating around this planet going, hmm, hmm. I wonder where they could have gone to. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, and not finding anything because something is interfering with the sensors. No, it no it. Th- th- their scans show that there are no humans on the planet, mm-hmm. and also that this planet is a hellscape. Yes, what a surprise! I just wrote down the planet is poison. I think that was actually <laughs> the geographic because they actually have a geologist on the bridge. Like, it's Mr. Yeager who yeah. goes from geologist to meteorologist yeah. all oh. in the span of an episode. Did yeah. he really? He did. His name also changes repeatedly from whoever's pronouncing it. Yeah. So some people call him Yeager. And some people call him Jaeger. Isn't Jaeger the proper pronunciation? Yes, yes, because Jaeger is German for hunter, and he is Germanic, as we learn in the episode. And yeah, depending on who's pronouncing his name, it changes repeatedly. But the official geologic assessment from Mr. Jaeger is... The meteorologist. Yet another hell planet. (laughs) That there is... uh, No vegetation that is covered in tornadoes, volcanoes, and deadly to everyone. Mm-hmm. And poison gas. And poison gas. And McCoy had previously been arguing of like, why don't we go down to this planet and check things out? And Spock's like, mm. and how long would a human being last there? Oh, guys. The answer to everything is not beaming down immediately. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta slow play it. Fortunately, that is Spock's strength. That's true. And then on the screen, speaking of Germanic things, gothic font appears. Yes. <laughs> it's a greeting card. What beautiful <laughs> calligraphy. <laughs> Greetings and felicitations. It says on their PowerPoint screen. Yeah. Um, and then hip hip hurrah, tally ho, which Spock immediately assumes is a practical joke. <laughs> I, I gotta wonder who he thinks is practical joking the bridge right now. It seems like an inopportune time, even if it was April first by someone else's calendar. Bad timing. Yeah. The other suggestion he has is that, because he's like, okay, fine. Um, I, I guess we should send somebody down because I think they detect a tiny little area. Or a source of the radio signal. So there's something live down there. And he, he says, if it's, if it's, uh, if the source of this transmission is the captain, oh, Mr. God. Sulu, they, they, their reason might be in question. Really? This seems like something that either of them would... That if Kirk and Sulu, after having boinged themselves off the ship to the hellscape planet, were sending up the message, (laughs) hip hip hooray, tally ho. Yeah. Okay, so I have a question. Yes, Kim. Uh, Based on, like, isn't the time period that he's supposedly in around, like, Napoleon? Okay, here's where I'm actually going to flip the table. Is hip hip and tally ho, are those 
proper Napoleonic British terms? Does that hunt? Does well, it go it, back it, that if far? You're, if you're a rich, because I know tally ho is like I've always associated that with fox hunting. It is. Yeah, it is. Is that go back as far as Napoleon, they or is that more still of a Victorian did it thing? Up to the point oh, yeah. that it was, it's a traditional word. Yeah, but is yeah. it no, tradition they, they back to like... Napoleon, or is it tradition back to just like Victorian? No, it's pretty. I'd old. probably say back to the Regency. Um, yeah. you've read more Regency romances than I have, Kim. They don't go fox hunting in there. Oh, really? No, because it's always one lady trapped alone with a dude in a castle being miserable. <laughs> <laughs> not the romance novels that I've been reading. No, definitely uh, not. I believe that Tally Ho and Hip Hip Hurrah, from what I've seen on Horatio Hornblower, <laughs> uh, are perfectly accurate. Okay. Yes. Um, Probably where the accuracy stops. But where the, where the table flipping comes out will come in later. Yeah. And you'll know because you'll hear the table flipping because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so... We outfit ourselves to beam down to the Hell Planet. And apparently all you need to survive on a poisonous gas Hell Planet is one of those airplane oxygen oh bags. God. So what? here's and the background belt. before this. Because okay. we often talk about, you know, protocol of beaming mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so somehow their sensors are saying that there's tiny this tiny little wee area that you can go on that isn't a total hellscape. Why would they trust their sensors, which couldn't pick up a planet beforehand and couldn't pick up any human beings when they know there are human beings down there? Why would you trust anything? That's that's a good point, Corrine. Thank you. I have another valid point um, <laughs> of why they don't transport in their, what we think of their classic <laughs> uh, biohazard outfits, is because in a memo from Bob Jessman to uh, Gene Kuhn, who I believe was either the producer juicer at this point or maybe the director of this episode he says if we transport if we transport mccoy jaeger or jaeger take your pick and to sell down to the surface of gothos in the orange spacesuits that we used in the nakey time then the audience will take a full half hour to stop laughing from what our people look like <laughs> <laughs> which i think is wondrous that people back then even then recognized how awful those were <laughs> Oh, that's, slash that's an amazing memo it is i would love to i would tape that memo above my office yeah um before they go down here i have notes saying that scotty wants to go and is denied and that spock says that neither here scotty can go because they're both too important to the ship <laughs> and nobody fights him on this and yet was it like the last episode that we watched or two episodes ago where Spock has his very first command that goes yes. terrible yeah. and everyone Galileo 7? Yeah, and everyone's really upset when he's like I'm too important to do things. Well, he's he's in command of the ship this time now. No, it's the same thing. Like who is most important in a mission never well, is the, 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 clear because why are you sending your doctor down to everything? Surely everything. There are other doctors. Can't you send a nurse? Not saying that nurses are more important than doctors. Oh, God. But, but, yeah. but he is the chief medical officer of the entire spaceship. And they're constantly sending him around. Whereas, apparently, your chief engineer, who commands an entire army of engineers, is perfectly fine to go I feel everywhere. like it's pretty likely that there are other medical, like, other doctors on board, too. Like, there are in every other Star Trek. But Ooh, I think we would dispute. Yeah, I would no, dispute I don't that. Think on so. this ship, this ship has only got, like, what, 400 and something people yes. on there? Yes. Mm. That's, yeah, no. Like, I would... But in the case of Spock. I think it's just that he's in command this time. Yeah, it's fine that he doesn't go down, but why wouldn't he let Scotty go down except for contractual reasons that maybe he has yeah, an the uncomfortably actor special relationship <laughs> with the Enterprise, though. I don't know. There, no, there are only one doctor. Yeah, yeah. I think they only have one doctor. Yeah, that overruled. Makes sense. Yeah, I, 
Because like we well, if so, that's insane. It is a bad plan. But well, for only four hundred and something crew members, one doctor is reasonable. Like yeah, Enter- but, Enterprise D has got like thousands of people on there, and they have multiple doctors, which yeah. I think is sensible. You know, sensible. And Deep Space Nine has got like a couple of doctors. Yeah, and Voyager them. has one who is a hologram, which is fair because he's yeah. a hologram. Yeah, there's practical reasons. I for think in the films it is implied that there are many doctors. Yeah. there because that's how McCoy gets promoted. Although. Yeah. I don't know if we acknowledge the films as any kind of... Kimmy's giving me such a look. I don't know. I haven't seen the films enough to know. Those aren't a good example either, though, because it was an emergency situation, a lot like Voyager. I don't know. It is completely crazy for there to only be one actual doctor. And for them to be sending him everywhere. Yeah. Every mission. It's just because he's a main character. Yeah. Yeah. They have to send at least one. Yeah. I feel like Scotty wasn't as well established as McCoy at this point. Not no. yet. To be beamed down as a main character, he's still regular supporting. Yeah, I don't know. It would have made... I don't know, it seems like it would make more sense to have Scotty going on some of this stuff, but... Well, it makes sense for them to send Jaeger, although apparently he is the worst geologist slash meteorologist <laughs> ever, because they beam down to this planet with no biohazard protocols whatsoever, Just except for a breathing mask. Okay, and here is another one of my points. Is that when they get down to the planet, Jaeger checks his little tricorder case, his tape recorder. The thing. Takes a look and is like, oh, my tape recorder says everything's okay. Takes off his mask. None of your instruments have worked on this planet previously. None of them. (laughs) Why would you trust anything that a piece of electronics is telling you right now? Because he's not in the main cast, so he's allowed to test the air, because if he dies, no one cares. Also, the plot kind of demands that they be able to at least act like they trust their instrumentation at this point. Otherwise, you couldn't possibly justify beaming down. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense, but beyond that, you sort of Plus they look stupid with those masks. Plus they look stupid, yes, they do. And they are very... um, Anyway, the uh, Hell Planet is surprisingly lush in this particular area. Oh, and it looks like the most medieval castle joint ever. Oh, yeah. We've yep. lost communication with the ship also. Of course we have, because electronics don't work, except for apparently the ones telling you they can breathe okay. Yeah. Of course they don't work. You're in a castle. A oh medieval castle. The, I say, like, medieval with a capital M. What's the, the dining joint that you can go to? Or medieval times? To, medieval times. <laughs> yeah. It's another... This entire episode is a Ren fair. Yeah. It exactly. is. It's the worst LARPing ever. I feel like... They used this in the menagerie? This Parts of the thing? walls, probably. Yeah. Like, they just had it. I feel like at some point before they started production, they bulk bought on the cheap. <laughs> like, medievally costumes and supplies and a set. And they're like, okay, how do we get the most bang for our buck out of this? I know. We'll set this in a castle, which doesn't make any sense with the rest of the aesthetic. Well, no, the aesthetic is all over the place, though, because we walk in and I actually wrote, what aesthetic is this exactly? (laughs) Because it is this crazy pants mishmash of time periods. (laughs) It's the best in 1960s Renaissance decor. And one of the very first things we see is an alien in an alcove. Is it the salt monster? It's the salt monster. It's the salt monster. Because McCoy looks at it and does a double take. Yeah. Yeah. There's the salt monster and there's also some kind of bird-like thing yeah. that, d- that was in the menagerie as well. Yeah. I did not notice that. I was too busy looking at the armor and the swords and the globe. Yeah. And- but it's like he, he's collected things from all over the place, but his favorite toy race is humans. <laughs> 
You know how much I love Salt Monster King, yeah. so I am always on the <laughs> So we get about five feet inside the door, and then they see uh, Statue Kirk and Sulu. Which they don't is... even knock. No, they, they don't even knock. They just walk right in. into someone else's castle. And about the second they see the missing crew members, the door slams behind them. Because of course, of course it, it does. does. And the harpsichord starts playing. Oh, is it a harpsichord or a turpsichord? <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you from the sound cream. It's a tinkly, old-timey piano. It's a pre-piano. <laughs> um, I would like to interject at this point, saying that everyone has a really strong belt game going on. It's true. <laughs> and, Except for Kirk and Sulu, who didn't have time to get dressed. No, they did not have time to insert their belts, but they have a, They would be really good at freeze tag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, the actor who... Well, of course, a mysterious creature dressed in old-timey, old-timey... Um, it's the most embroidery I, I've ever seen on one jacket. Oh, it's bling. His it outfit so was amazing. Yeah. So good. Amazing. And I don't really want to give any credit to historical accuracy in <laughs> Star Trek. <laughs> but Especially to an alien who... Was it good? No. No. <laughs> but, but for a period about... 150 years before he was thinking it was it was okay <laughs> like I, whenever i go to the museums i love to see the the clothing exhibits and that kind of like super embroidery yeah. that was like the height of fashion so i thought that was a great costume I he actually, looks great he oh does. yeah he, he was great. he's got so he's got a blue velvet ch- like coat mm-hmm. it's like a gold. frock coat pardon i think it's almost a frock coat no it's not it's, it's not skirty enough it's, but it's like a morning coat no no it's, it's, more, it's sort of it's a, it's a long coat with tails, but it's not a frock coat because it's not a full enough skirt. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it's not a morning coat. But he's got beautiful gold trim along the um, the lapels and the cuffs. Intensely embroidered gold um, gold leaves, and then he has the most amazing lace cravat and cuffs. Mm, and that's cravat so and yeah. this little bouffanty hair thing. Oh, the, oh, I love his hair. Yeah, yeah. very the, shiny boots. The whole outfit was fantastic. Mm-hmm. He was really amazing. amazing. Yeah, it's so. It looks so good. Like, everything yeah. about him. The yeah. hair. Yeah. I guess you'd call it... It might be a frock coat. A man suit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we get, he introduces himself as Trelane. The Squire of Gothos. Yes. Well, he introduces himself as General Trelane Retired and then tells him to call him Squire. <laughs> General of what? I do not know. British well, military? Imaginary Stop. alien fan version of the British military? No, and he's definitely not playing that harpist guard. No. <laughs> no. He plays the same way. The, he plays the harpist guard the same way that I played the harpist guard. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah. He, there's one point where he takes his hand off and the music keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Gothos. like, in this situation, the harpist guard should be playing. Play. It's true. So, Gothos is the planet. Um, and he is thrilled um he is the best larper ever in that this is his favorite show yes uh and then he bursts into like this amazing monologue and dialogue with kirk about you know, the height of rudeness not to offer you a drink my good sir oh i keep my planet as a hobby i keep my viewing scope on earth and then here's the point where i'm going to flip the table uh he says it and so Kirk says, oh, well, obviously... You're a little off by you're, time. You're a little behind the time since we're traveling in space. Oh! And he, and he says, no. you're about 900 Kirk years off. Kirk says, yeah. you're 900 Except years off. Okay. Let's back this math up. <laughs> so, if we assume that Star Trek is happening, I think it's in the... 23rd. 23rd this, century. Yeah. 900 years in the future would be the 1400s. Yeah. 
what the hell, Kirk? What the hell? Kirk yeah. is not a historian. Kirk is not very oh, much. Not. Kirk cannot do basic math. That bothered me throughout the entirety so of the this episode. Should be, this should be the 1700s. This no, the Napoleonic uh, area era was the uh, Regency, so the 1800s. 1800s. Okay, so yeah. Kirk's off by a lot, like 400 years. Kirk's off, yes, by a lot of years. And it's funny because they they according to Memory Alpha they had people kind of going over the scripts. I'm going to put some heavy quotation marks. Continuity. <laughs> and there's a note going, I thought this is supposed to be happening in like 2200 or 2300. Why is it 900? Would no one bother to correct? No. <laughs> so if somebody noted it and then everyone yes. just went, ignore eh, it. 900 sounds swell. Yeah. Um, not, not that Trillian himself is sticking to any time period, correct or incorrect, because he's got, I mean... All sorts of interesting knickknacks and yeah. So he, he's art. essentially like when you think of an English gentleman saying "pip pip tally ho," he is that. Yeah. yeah, he's he's supposed to be like an English fop. Yeah, like oh, slightly militaristic but retired and now a country gentleman, a squire. Yes. Yeah, and he thinks that human being, like his image of human beings, is basically though we love war, we love ridiculous ceremony about aggression and violence and blah blah. blah. Kirk is offended by this. <laughs> like, we're Which not is like, ridiculous. We're not like that anymore. We're civilized, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Trillian just keeps going. Yes. You, do you know you're one of the few predator species that preys even on itself? And he thinks this is the oh, coolest thing ever. It's a good line. It is. It is false, though. Yes, yes it, it is. is. It, it is, is 100% false. Other animals I was wondering. I was wondering how few other things he had been studying. Well, to be fair, if you were just looking at the surface of the planet, do gorillas, gorillas do kill each other? Or yeah. am I just thinking of that... Most quote from the boxer with like dolphins when, commit murder when the old fun. gorilla gets old the no. younger gorilla yeah, no. kills him and takes his place he I then proceeds think you're correct yeah correct I think, enough I think it lions is lions kill each other yeah. yeah to be top of the pride as we have learned in the documentary the lion king but like king. surely he's looked at other planets than earth too no his viewing scope is just on earth so he has no time like, to get around it's anything like, else when a kid gets obsessed with Rome or when a kid yeah. gets obsessed with dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah, they just pick something and then The cool stuff and ignore yeah, everything they, else. Yeah, exactly. And the cool stuff in history, sad to say, is usually the war stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff And that he's gets completely uninterested in anything anyone is saying to the contrary because he's just excited. And then he proceeds to greet everyone uh, by the most stereotypical greeting version of their names. He uh, does a little goose stepping for Jaeger. <laughs> Which, okay, uh, can I ask a question? Yes, Cam. Uh-huh. Is that accurate, or is that more, that seemed yes, like Cream. really, what, like, Was 1940s. he speaking German? He was speaking German. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think he was pretending to be, like, a Prussian military okay. person. So I don't think he was pretending to be a Nazi. As far as I could tell, it was fairly just like, hey, hey. Okay. And he does a sort of music hall Japan- Japanese stereotype greeting does he? for Sulu. No, no it doesn't. It's, that was the, I noticed he didn't do anything for Sulu. He didn't do anything Yeah, he did Sulu. because Sulu leans over and says, is he kidding? I thought no, he, he does. did it to the German. No, yeah. he does it to both of them because Sulu reacts specifically. He's the one who leans over, I think, to Kirk and he says, no. is he kidding? Yes, okay. absolutely yes. No. Pause. Yes. Yeah, pause, 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 pause. We're going, we're going back. Oh, do yeah. we have to? Yes. And we're back. We're back. So I think both of us, all of us were right in that 
It's worse than I thought it was, and yet better than... It could be much Better worse. than Ari thought it was. Yeah. So they introduce all of them. He well, gives, he sets such a high bar for offensive already. <laughs> he's a dear. He bows to Sulu and says, most honorable <laughs> sir. And then Sulu says, are you kidding? And then proceeds to do a little mechanical toy soldier dance in German. Yeah. <laughs> Which was accurate, because he's counting Heinz yeah. by guy, like, and then just deluges into nonsense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, the thing to Sulu was just, it was a respectful bow and a hello. Yeah, It could have been so oh, offensive. Well, it gets worse later on. Not no. for Sulu, but for Uhura. It, again, could have been much Oh, certainly worse. could have been. What I forget about is how genial he is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's quite likable. He's, like, delusional, but likable. He's, he's very excited to see everybody and to meet people from all of these different cultures. Yeah, he's got a German guy. He's got a French, French guy. guy. Vive le roi, vive Napoleon. Those are two very different, <laughs> <laughs> different sentiments. But anyhow, um, yeah, oh. <laughs> long live the king, long live <laughs> Napoleon. Oh, I mean, yeah. at some point, Napoleon was the king, but anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, um, and so Kirk is very offended that Trelane seems to think that humanity is all about poking other people with swords, um. <laughs> But he's and not. ornamental pistols, don't forget. And ornamental pistols. But he's not wrong on a symbolic or literal level. No. No. Especially at this time period. If he had it apparently just aimed at Europe, <laughs> he was not wrong. No. no. Not wrong at all. But no. Kirk is all uppity about it. Well, Kirk is uppity because he's he, he's like, we've moved past that. Also that he's been kidnapped. <laughs> also that he's been kidnapped. <laughs> can we, every time he gets kidnapped, can we just call it Kirknapped? However... <laughs> However, this is very in line with our first encounter with the actual Q later on. Yes, it is. In that they are mostly judging them based on information from hundreds of years from the present of the people that they are putting on trial. But they they take a long view of history, which I think is what Q argues when he meets Picard, is that in the percentage-wise of humanity being good rather than humanity being total dickbags, it's about 2%. Well, sure, except there's also an argument to be made about lifespan. It's like human beings compared to the Q have a non-existent lifespan, and that's one of Picard's arguments, too. I think that, if I'm, I'm just trying to think back, I believe Q calls them a warlike child race, and he's looking at them through the, into- the lens of human history. Yes. And he says, you have not changed. Which Picard argues that they, they have, have changed. Yeah, because the whole argument is about perspective. It's like, no, yeah. It's not about compared, perspective. Well, no, in the sense that we live about five minutes. And so yes. from the point of view of the Q, you've only been alive for five minutes and you've been notched complete shit for about three seconds. But from our point of view... Yeah. I don't know. It, we'll burn that particular bridge when we get there. But I think in the terms of this actual episode, mm-hmm. he's right. Well, also, he doesn't care, because he just wants the fun stuff. No. Yeah, that's true. He does just want the fun stuff, which in history is the war. The explodey blood yes. parts. And Jaeger, Jager, Jager Bomb, um, observes that there is fire, but there's no heat. Yeah. And McCoy zips him with his tricorder and he's not alive he's as not we there. know it. He's not there as we know it. He's kind of something of pure energy. And Trilling kind of explains his powers, but it basically comes out sounding like a replicator. He can, he he has a system, I think he mm-hmm. explains it as a machine, that converts matter, or matter to energy and back again at, at his will. Mm-hmm. Which makes it all the stupider when uh, DeSalle 
tries to Giselle tries to sneak up on him mm-hmm. while he is staring in at mirror. a mirror. In a mirror. So okay, he's he's looking. He's Trillian spends a lot of time staring at himself in the mirror so yes. that we know that the mirror is important. Mm-hmm. Of course, but like we can see Giselle sneaking up on him in the yeah. mirror. Trillian can see you too. You moron! He's yeah. behind you. Yeah. Um, oh, that was so. And dumb. even before that, Kirk just tries to leave. And Trelane boops him out into the real atmosphere of the planet and then back again as, like, a lesson. Yes. Showing that it actually is a hellscape and that yeah. not all their computers are wrong. Just in case you weren't convinced. Shatner does some amazing coughing. Yeah. 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 And Very choking. convincing. Well, yeah. there's also a point here where Trelane takes the phaser away from the sow. Yes. To play and with it. To play with it, basically. And he starts zapping statues. Who are yes. probably also alive. No, the salt monster is dead. Yeah, but he says this very, like, gleefully, from what I remember, this could kill millions. Yes. He's like, what fun. Yeah, exactly. What sport. Yeah. Um, and, ugh. Back to the ship, who cares? Back to Trelane, where we do care, is that he starts talking about battle flags and how thousands have died. Check out battle flags, they're so cool. No, they aren't. They are not in any way accurate to any Napoleonic flags or battle standards that I have seen. And I have seen all of them. I think it's really funny that Karina's getting angry about the historical accuracy as reproduced by a immortal, omniscient, omnipotent alien child six or seven hundred years in the future. But... (laughs) But the battle flags were not correct. <laughs> not in any which way. They did not even have tassels on them. He's not a real nerd. <laughs> no, he's a fake geek boy. <laughs> he is a fake geek boy. <laughs> oh, so they human w- history gatekeeping, Kareen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> you have a history book. Look in it. So it turns, Kirk is like, oh, tr- he can make mistakes because they look at the fire and there's no heat. So he's not. Um, oh, the food tastes like crap. And the food tastes like crap. And the alcohol, which McCoy instantly downs a cup full, mm-hmm. tastes like ash. <laughs> of course, McCoy is, McCoy is drinking. He's a raging alcoholic. Like, I, want, alcohol? I want to go I back. I want to go back to the ship. For a second, because we skipped, we went in the middle of that. But, yeah, because it's but not, they're, not useful. They're developing a plan, and Spock's plan, because apparently they have managed to detect the, like, more accurately detect the mysterious whatever compound on the surface. As why should they trust it? Because he's like, okay, Scotty, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to lock da- lock in on everything that looks alive and beam it on board. So... It's a plan. Mm-hmm. It's a plan. And that's all going according to plan until Trelane learns that there are babes on board. Yeah. Yeah. He's shocked. Yes. So shocked. Kirk says, I'm in charge of 400 men and women. And Trelane goes, what? You've got ladies? Ladies? They must be beautiful. What? <laughs> Again, if we're going back to the historical record here, in Napoleonic times, there were women that traveled essentially behind the armies doing the washing or prostitutes. Oh Camp followers. Camp followers. Exactly. You would not make the assumption that they were beautiful. No. 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 But anyhow, Kirk says, nope, 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 nope. This is, I actually really like them because the phrase that Kirk uses to describe the women on his ship are crucial operating personnel. Yes. Yeah. He's like, they're important, leave them Whereas there. Whereas Trillane is just excited to have a new variant of the toy action figures he already says, <laughs> I shall be gallant. <laughs> and Kirk's like, uh, nope. And this is the first time that he seems explicitly childlike because he stops and all expression drops from the whatever I want. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. Not wrong at all. Um, immediately after this, Spock beams them up. 
Yes. And then Kirk says, okay, like, run. Run faster than that. Faster than that. Um, But no too late for Lane's already on the bridge. Well, no, there's a part where not Rand is like, oh, I was so I was worried, so worried. Captain. Oh, okay. why? And have some space coffee. Yeah. yeah. And Trelane beams himself right up, looking like a boss. <laughs> he's he's added a cape and a sword, and he like got dressed to travel. Yeah, he's like, I'm leaving home. Let's put on my coat and get my weapons. My travel cape. Um, there is also <laughs> it's beautiful. It has the... even more embroidery than the coat. It yes. is on the PowerPoint presentation on the bridge. There is also condition alert. <laughs> Just for all the people who can hear the sirens. Or the flashing red lights. Or the flashing red lights. Um, he has a little oh. sass fest with Spock because he, he looks around the bridge and he sort of does more judge on him, on them like he did with them on the planet. And he says to Spock, surely not an officer. Not quite human, is he? <laughs> and in the background, while Trillian is saying this, Spock doesn't react at all because he's Fuck. Yes. But in the background as Trelane is saying this, you see like two unnamed crewmen sort of making this, oh no, he didn't face. <laughs> it gets better because Trelane says, ooh, how ugly, my decor is better. And Sulu says, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. It is. And, oh, you're the soul of sublime savagery. He likes alliteration. Oh, That yeah. does endear me to him. <laughs> uh, or endear him to me. And let's have a forcible dinner party. It it is the worst like role playing game ever played. And this is where he notices Uhura and refers to her as a Nubian prize. Yeah, yeah, that was gross. That was gross. And that she's and Uhura is the queen of Sheba. And Uhura is gonna cut you. Well, until she learns that she can play harpsichord. <laughs> oh, yes, because he grabs Yeoman Teresa Ross. Wait, wait, did we talk about how they're all back down on the planet at this point? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he moves them back down and then okay. forces them to have a dinner party. Right. And then he notices the girls. Yeah. Um, and he says, okay, Yeoman Ross, we're going to dance. And what's, he, Okay, what's her name? Teresa, Teresa Ross. Ross. Okay, because he calls her Helen, I'm guessing. Because he refers to Helen of Yeah, yeah. Right. he does okay. a little bit of a poetry reading, which he knows swoons the ladies. Except mm-hmm. she looks desperately unimpressed, and then he says, make me immortal with a kiss, which I believe is part of the poem. And Kirk's like, uh, no. <laughs> and she takes this step back like, ugh. Yes. And then he decides they're going to dance. Well, no. First there's a part where he has another showdown with Spock, which is, of course, always amusing. He mm. says, I object to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Objection. Oh, yes. Um, intel- you are intellect without discipline and power without constructive purpose. Which yeah. I think pretty well sums up the cue as a dictionary definition. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, but Trelane is elated by this because he is ill-mannered and he finds that wonderful. Yes. He digs this. You have a purpose. You yep. are rude. Yeah. He snaps her into playing the harpsichord. Yeah. Yep. And so it's time for a dance number because we don't have a musical number in this episode, mm-hmm. but we mm-hmm. do have a dance, dance number. Oh, but Yeoman Ross isn't properly dressed, so he gives her this pink regency oh. thing oh. And, and a head oh. feather. Oh. I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah. It's it's lavender. It's got a train that she's attached at the wrist. Yes. She's got enormous feathers in her mm-hmm. hair. Mm-hmm. And my only question was, is this period accurate? Because it didn't feel period accurate. It felt like more like something Anne Shirley would wear. No. Well, no. There was the re- there was the Empire waistband. The waistband. And like the, the silhouette is right. The, by silhouette, you mean boobs. Well, um, no, I mean, like, if you if you made it black on white silhouette and just cut out all the details, it's right, but I couldn't say about the ornamentation It's all about the boobs. Yeah, that is the important so, bit. I think it actually was a 
fairly good yeah. stab at it. Okay. It's like something that you'd see in a Jane Austen movie. So I think, like, other than the fabrics and the amount of acrylic involved, <laughs> yeah. it's moderately accurate-ish. Yeah. Okay. Accurate-esque? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. And so then there's a dance number, mm-hmm. and McCoy just drinks brandy and takes it all in. And they're all sort of talking while he's dancing with her because this is, like, the least destructive he's been since they got here. Um, And there's a lot of talk that the food has no taste and Spock's like, all of this, it has no, it's all form, no substance. Which is sort of, I guess that would be an accurate way to look at it if he's, like, 900 light years away observing everything. He doesn't actually know. And he's never touched or tasted or anything, any of the stuff that he's mimicking. And mm. somewhere in that conversation, they come around to, hmm, maybe it's a machine doing all this. Oh, maybe it's the mirror. Yeah. Thought everyone he never as leaves soon the as mirror. they saw the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> because apparently the mirror is picking up the brainwaves. Whatever. I, ah. But it doesn't make any sense. Because, of course, uh, Kirk goes over and starts a riot. Yeah. Because he's trying to sort of throw Trelane off now. And he oh, plays. he's trying to engage him in a dick swinging contest. Basically, yes. Over a woman. Uh-huh. Where he starts forcibly undressing the yeoman. Well, he pulls off the glove and the, the weird head feather thing. Take off my hand. Oh, that's right. Because Kirk is like trying. Coils. He's trying to get him angry. Yeah. Yes. And he does, because he slaps him for a duel. Yeah. <laughs> a duel, sir! With the glove. Yes, that's beautiful. Yeah. Which was delightful. So they're going to fight for the possession of a woman. With dueling pistols. With uh, the kind that slew Alexander Hamilton. Spoiler for the musical Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> Very topical, though. <laughs> yes, and Trelane says, I never miss. Implying that he's done... Never. More than one duel? Yeah. You know, if he is he is a child, he's got toy guns, he has been practicing shooting them. Or it's That's just true. the kind of cool thing he thinks the kind of character he's playing would say. That's true. So Trelane says, you know, this is the field of honor, and we're going to play by my rules, which means I go first. The field of honor in my living room. <laughs> and you know, this felt very... I often call my bedroom the field of honor. <laughs> <laughs> um, this did feel, though, very accurate to playing with my nephew. Yeah. Like... <laughs> No, I go first. No, that's not how you do it. No, you're doing it wrong. Because yeah. Trelane claims the first shot, and Kirk's like, that's not how it works. Um, but and he whatever. says, shut up. At this point, I have yeah. to know bitching roughs. Yeah, they were amazing. <laughs> they were amazing. Very sculpted. So Trelane takes the first shot because it's his rules, and he shoots at the ceiling, which I think he's like, oh, what a noble thing I do here today. Yeah. Oh, 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 Plus, oh, oh. nothing can hurt him. It was weirdly honorable of him, I thought. Yeah. 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 Uh, then there's some boingy music, and Kirk immediately shoots the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> As we all knew that he would. Yeah. And he says, oh, the remarkable treachery of the species, which translates into curse your inevitable betrayal. <laughs> sudden. <laughs> sudden, but inevitable betrayal. Yeah. Go back to your ship. You're all dead meat. Yeah. And he becomes very childish at this well, point. Well, he says yeah. to Kirk, you've ruined everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, all ruins. We're done. Go home. And here is, I yes. think, th- maybe the third chase with a giant space object sequence we've had in the series so far in only 17 episodes because the Enterprise goes to emergency warp, but no matter how many times they turn and gun the engines, the planet is still in front of them. Yeah, so... We've done this a few times now. They do it many times. A mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, couple of notes while we're on the ship attempting to warp away. 
They are asked. They asked to contact Space Fleet Command. Whoever the hell that is. Getting closer to Starfleet Command. We're getting, there. We're getting, We're there. getting there. Very ever closer yeah. to Starfleet yeah. Command. And I really enjoyed the human who is in her dress. She's like, "Can I go change?" And Kirk is like. Yes. <laughs> well, I really liked that exchange, actually, yeah. because she's still, like, doing her fucking job in the fancy dress, and he looks at her, and he and she's like, so can I take a minute to change? And he's like, turning your glass slippers, ball is over. Gladly. Yes. Yeah. Oh, hard to, and then Kirk says, hard to believe it ever happened. I think you'll find that it did. Yep. You, and it's still happening. It's been two seconds. <laughs> yeah. You're still running away. And as they're being chased, Spock says, cat and mouse game. What? No, no. That's As if not. to provide some kind of commentary on the, uh, the And eventually Kirk goes, fuck this, I'm going back down. I'd also like to argue you are in space. Have you tried going down? Yeah. They I continually just go straight into this They planet. always do this and in sci-fi, though. Weave. They forget space is three-dimensional. Weave. It's true. In Star Wars as well, I think there's only a couple of times when I they remember. I think of one. There are... During the last battle. Two. Two? Two. There's the time when uh, he does the alley-oops and oh, then yeah, yeah, into yeah. the mouth of the yeah. waiting um, beast inside the asteroid. Mm-hmm. But and in a then, space battle, I can only think of one. Yeah, they never seem to remember, oh yeah, I can go up and down. I don't have <laughs> to just go straight. Mm. Um, really, And again, the Millennium Falcon is very maneuverable. Yeah. That's its whole deal. So is the Enterprise. I don't think so. Well, if we had to compare the Enterprise to the Millennium Falcon, well, which much, I think is bigger. about the nerdiest thing we're about to do. Well, it's it's not really comparable. Can it go up and down? What, the, the thrusters are at the back. The Enterprise does it all the time. No, they have thrusters, no, it the, doesn't. They have thrusters in the bottom. Can't back me up on this. I'm not going to back you up on this. You can't remember, can you? No. They do. They absolutely no. do. Well, no. The, the, D give sir, an the D100% does because they do it to get out of planetary atmosphere at least three times that I can think of. It does have thrusters in the bottom. I think this is just a simple case of they know. forget space is three-dimensional. I don't know that they can they really have go up thrusters. or down. I don't think they have enough maneuverability as opposed to, like, the Millennium Falcon. Which well, the Millennium Falcon is also, down. like, a million times smaller than the Enterprise. I don't think it would be fun. But, it's yeah. space. Who if cares? they had to, they could certainly go up or down. I think that just didn't occur to anybody. I don't think that they could do a very quick maneuver. Well, I don't no, think but the Enterprise quick, is maneuverable. But what's quick in comparison to a planet? Apparently, this planet is uh, fast as a cat and mouse. <laughs> Kim, your thoughts? I think that space is three-dimensional, so we don't need to talk about up or down. We need to talk about axes, and I think <sighs> it can move within space in whatever direction it wants, but once you get into an atmosphere, it can only go up or down. Yes. Because gravity is a lot stronger then. That's fine, but if we are thinking about it going two-dimensionally. We've seen like, galaxy-class starships go up and down in space battles in Star Trek in later series. I don't series. think they maneuver well. Well, probably not super, not as well as the Millennium Falcon, but again, the Millennium Falcon is really small in comparison. Everything, just, it, just think of everything that happens in space, no matter what angle you're seeing it at, it's all happening upside down and backwards because space has no direction. That is no, true. but in thinking about having a space battle, I think people tend to only think of going forward and slightly up instead of we see the people it. do it though. No, we see it later in, on in when we're in relation to other ships. Yeah. Yes, we do see people coming up from underneath because we have people hovering under like cloaked Romulan vessels yeah. to hide out and coming up underneath to shoot and definitely mm. the shuttlecraft, etc. I think it's just a weird backwards conceit that they just never do in sci-fi. Everyone forgets that. Oh yeah, you can go in other directions than forward and backwards. <laughs> Um, anyway, Kirk beams back down. In a huff. In a huff. A huge, huge huff. A manly huff. 
Like, he doesn't need to tell the ship that if he's not back in an hour to leave. Yeah, yeah. just go Get the hell out of him. here immediately. And he beams down into the first episode of The Next Generation. Basically, yes, yeah. he does. Except yeah. less fancy. But, or yeah. less sci-fi, even, so, yeah. So, factoid, William Campbell, who played Trelane, halted production in order for them to find him an English judge wig. Excellent. I love this man. Now, Shatner thought it was ridiculous, and they got Gene Kuhn to mediate on this dispute. <laughs> Because Shatner's like, no, like, we're on a schedule, goddammit. And William Campbell's like, no, I think I really need this for the character. I would argue he was correct. He was I agree correct. he was correct. Yes. Absolutely. Especially and for a character who loves costumes as much as this. Yeah. That is very true. Um, really enjoyed seeing this, knowing that we have Q coming up. Yeah. I, yeah. Really, I really, really felt Q in that scene. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, this is, I mean, this entire scene is, you can base the whole interaction and the whole trial scene with yeah. Q yes. on, on this. this. Yes. He's sitting, you know, Q is the judge. And I mean, like, even in, in Encounter at Far Point, I believe Q frees our throat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a different looking effect. Also but, with ice, but basically the same. It's always very interesting watching the original series seeing what threads they picked up mm-hmm. on, like yeah. what themes still stayed relevant from the 60s to the 80s, right? Late 80s. Yeah. Late 80s. There was a part of me that was really expecting him to, like, make a fake audience to to, to They could not insults. afford that. No, they could not. But also, it's a very different sort of atmosphere in this because... Trelane's basically putting him on trial for ruining his fun, whereas yes. Q is at least enjoying the pretense of doing it for ethical yeah. reasons. Yeah. Well, I think Tr- uh, Trelane puts him on trial for treason against a superior being, is what yeah. I wrote yeah. down. Yes, it is. Whereas Q puts um, humanity. humanity yeah, humanity on trial. Picard's a representative of humanity, and he's crimes against the galaxy or whatever. Close enough. Yeah. A dangerous, savage child race. Yes, and Kirk says, you know, venture anger on me, let my ship go. Um... Gosh, we're not playthings for your amusement. One could argue that they are. Yes, <laughs> functionally, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, and so in this kangaroo court or kanga Q court. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. that was terrible. I giggled into the far hours of the night on that one. <laughs> uh, Kirk is sentenced to being hung by the neck until dead. And there's an amazing floating noose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. With, I think it was Shatner's actual expression of incredulity. incredulity <laughs> whatever. Both or. Um, watching it float towards him. It more like danced towards it him. It did. It kind of like wiggled seductively. I'm a noose. I'm a noose. Noose, 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 noose. Wiggles over to his neck. Can I just make a note here that I wrote down... Trelane's blouse has amazingly puffy sleeves. It does. You it make really bitching roughs, Kim. Yeah! Bitching roughs. We were Trelane's... on the same page here. Yeah, they were amazing. We very much Trelane were. is no longer angry um, because he's had his fun and now he's getting what he wants. And he's amazed that Kirk is still angry because he's like, I experienced anger just for a second, but it was what amazing. Fun. What, what fun. fun. Kirk, of course, is still pissed. That's because he's about to be used. Yeah. yeah. News. Then Kirk <laughs> Kirk essentially goes into a seductive speech about how murder, murder is the finest sport and white meat wrong. is the tastiest meat of all. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I felt it. And somehow talks him around into um Where's the sport of just hanging yeah. me when you could hunt me down like an animal and stab <laughs> me with your bare hands? A royal hunt! Tell you! <laughs> It's basically hide and seek. Yeah. And Kirk's like, I won't play unless you free my ship, because the ship, meanwhile, has been drunk. 
No, they were there to wait for an hour. And the time's almost up. Yeah. I well, how, I don't know how they thought we were going to get away. No idea. Um, And he gets outside and he says, let me call my ship. And Trillian's like, yeah, 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 fine. He can't call a ship, of course. Of course he cannot. And so it's a contest you'll remember. And so... There's a lot of running through the forest. There's <laughs> a lot of yes. bad running through the sparse forest. Ooh, some very manly rolling. Yep. Captain Kirk and Trillian running through the forest. <laughs> Uh, also, an amazing styrofoam tree that just snaps <laughs> off when someone hits it. There's a lot of um, my favorite move of all, and I have a lot of favorite Shatner moves, is his sideways ballet leaps. <laughs> yeah. There's some tree swinging. Um, James Kirk obviously took gymnastics. And I think. And he finally catches him. He catches him, but. Terlane is a terrible cheat. Oh yeah, he's a fucking cheater. He boings out of the way. He does. Yeah. He boings Kirk out of the way. Kirk finally gets the sword and, he's and then he stabs at him and, and he, he goes boing out of the way because he's a goddamn cheater. Yeah. He is. And then he essentially puts Kirk into a cage. Yeah. <laughs> I have a note here that those swords are definitely made out of wood. Oh, yes. <laughs> Cuz he oh, runs he the runs... distinctive wooden clatter when they yeah, hit the yeah, stage yeah. Yeah. floor. <laughs> Um, but he runs back to the castle, and Trillane basically blocks off his escape by a magic cage Magic walls. cage. And Trillane doesn't understand why Kirk doesn't surrender. He says, you've been beaten. And Kirk says, but I'm not defeated. Mostly because you're a fucking cheater, so it doesn't count. No, and then he takes the wooden sword and snaps it. Yeah. <laughs> and then proceeds to slap Trillane around a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Which I was into. And Trillane is shocked <laughs> by this. <laughs> and oh. then, bloop, 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 bloop. Uh, two green spotlights appear, and it's Terlane's <laughs> mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After a... This is such a bizarre episode, because he is a child, and then there's yeah. this weird, seductive speech about how murder is ever Super so fun. much fun, and all the cool kids are doing murder, and you'll feel, oh, so good after doing it. <laughs> yeah. And then the parents... Uh, interfere and <laughs> they spank him and take him home with basically, no essentially yes. yeah yeah I, um and they apologize yes they oh ever so we're, sorry, we're so sorry we didn't think about the consequences of setting our child loose with a completely unlimited power and letting him letting him intercept you yes oh, oh, okay honestly it feels like they left their kid alone in his room for 45 minutes without checking to see what he was doing with no the no internet. no it's yeah. like they left yeah the, it is it's kid. like yeah. they left the kid alone in a toy store oh and it's just i don't know it it's was such a bizarre ending it's, yeah. it's also a, such a cop-out ending i know yeah it is we and that's basically everything's fixed the yeah. end oh. but again like there's no good way out of that situation no. like i felt like they kind of set it up in the fact that Trelane is very childlike he is very juvenile in his approach to everything and he talks about we a yeah. lot which i think is supposed to refer to like perhaps the continuum yeah or, because if you can't i thought it was just supposed to be the royal we oh <laughs> i because i was I thinking think of it both, through actually. the lens of the, of Q, the Q. I was like, oh yeah. it's a continuum the thing about Trelane and 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 the Q is that when somebody is all powerful is compared to you, you only really have two options. One, well, your your option number one normally is you you can't overpower them, so that's out. The only other option, normally, I mean, unless their parents show up to take them home, <laughs> is to reason with them. And the cue later on, usually, or at least within a very broad definition of reasoning, can be reasoned with. They never really beat a cue later on. They make deals. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Most of the cue, most of the cue that we interact with as the audience is John Delancey cue, yeah. mm. and he's like 
he is on several worlds, he is a god of chaos. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, we do meet other Q. Like, when he, he gets kicked out of the continuum for yes. being a dick, and we yes. get to meet another Q there who's basically there to punish him. On uh, Voyager, we get to meet Susie Q, yeah. who's uh, Susie Plaxton, who is a goddess. Yeah. And she plays jealous, vengeful, yet yes. completely reasonable, and like, oh, here's the situation, fine, Q. <laughs> and we also get to meet the Q who wants to die on Voyager. Also Kid Q. And a kid, oh, baby Q. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. son, isn't it? Yes, and then Susie Q and John Delancey. Q. No, yeah, oh, yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, it's their kid. And then there's also another Q on Next Gen who was lost from the continuum when she was a child, or her parents left. Right, right, right. And she, she's sort of like like a early twenties. Think she's a human female that starts developing powers. Yeah, and I, I really yeah. remember that one because she tries Had a thing to for Riker. Yeah, she tries to boing Riker into having feelings for her, and it's really creepy. And it's very really creepy. gross. Yeah. So we get to meet other Q, and like they're they're reasonable. Yeah, they at least yeah. they at least have rules and standards and and. Lines that are too far. And look, we get, there's there's a whole episode of Voyager about the cute continuum being in the middle of a civil war over yeah. their morals. A, the literal civil war. Yeah. No, no, no. We're explained that you are seeing the continuum as a metaphor that humans can understand. <laughs> and, and apparently the uh-huh. 24th century humans naturally gravitate towards the metaphor of the American Civil War. Because why not? That makes perfect sense. Again, um, they had discount purchased yeah. a whole bunch of I, I Civil believe War that. I absolutely believe that. <laughs> and that's what they had to deal with. So back on the ship where everything's perfect and fine. <laughs> Spock is most concerned about how to catalog this experience. Uh, Spock has been all about the dictionary yep. this entire episode. How do we describe this? And Kirk says, the god of war, a small boy, and a very naughty one of that. <laughs> Wink! Yeah. Oh my god. And then there's this weird little bit right at the end where... Spock's like, what the fuck kind of small boy were you? And then Kirk lays out this bizarre anachronistic string. He of... lays out Anne of Green Gables. Yeah. Where he's yeah. talking about dipping Dipy. curls in ink wells, chucking apples off of trees, tying cans around, and then he stops himself because apparently he's forgotten what century he was born in. <laughs> Again! He's probably drunk. <laughs> you never saw an inkwell in your life, Jim Kirk. Who among us has? No one! Well, I have. I Unless, have. well, okay, yeah, but I not, have, like, for actual use. I have in the historical recreation village <laughs> down go. the street from my I house. I can only assume that he was being deliberately anachronistic because anything else is too stupid. It is very stupid. Um, so, oh, God. What do we feel about this episode? <laughs> I'm really excited about the queue to come. <sighs> but of the episode itself? It's, but it's so weird to have essentially four omnipotent beings in yeah. a 17 episode run as yeah. an individual episode i'm pr- like i really enjoyed Trela- Trelane. Like, yeah he's a great character in the costume yes. blah, blah, blah. the rest of the episode eh. yeah um its place in the first season of star trek being like you're right like there's this is like the fourth and the second in like two episodes was the last episode shore leave no two no. episodes ago was shore leave yeah yeah so like Two out of three episodes are about omniscient people who can just do whatever the hell they want. Uh-uh. Boring. It's so weird that they're yeah. so obsessed with this. Like, there are other things you can do in science fiction. Like, we have met very few alien species. We've met the Romulans. They do more later. We've met the salt monster. It's just all bunched up together near the beginning like this. It's very weird because I'm thinking these are the episodes, like, there was a bunch that they pitched to the network first. Yeah. And then they had to kind of had to go from there, but... 
all the episodes that they've essentially pitched have not been, I would say, hard sci-fi. No. No. Um, they've mostly been episodes of the Twilight Zone mm. in space. Yeah. Basically. Um, Ari, what did you feel about this episode? I really liked Trelane. Um, but it, it feels, because nothing they do actually matters in this episode. Like, no, it doesn't matter There are holding all. actions, but nothing that are, that are heroes, for lack of a better word. Um, nothing they do matters. Nothing has any impact because he's omnipotent. There's nothing they can do to stop him. Yeah. He can't be reasoned with and he can't be overpowered. And the only reason that they succeed in not dying on the gaseous hell planet is because his parents show up. So, I don't know. It's it's basically as if nothing happened. I think Kirk should have tried spanking him, frankly. Well, he did, just way too late. <laughs> yeah, well, again, and we're going to see another episode that's very similar to this one. It's the Greek gods. Yeah. Um, and again, like, an omnipotent being that you cannot reason with. And that always really frustrates me in most narratives. It's like, oh, God, I don't, don't, I don't, I'm tired of this Well, now. there's no way to win, so yeah. you have to yeah. figure out something outside of your hero's um like power and sphere of influence in order to solve it, which is boring. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're just waiting for that Deus to come out of that machina. Yeah. Yeah. So Crean, what did you think? Again, really liked her. Life. Yeah. yeah. Uh I mean, I'm love... charming. The Q are so great. The Q are great. <gasps> okay, so this is my next question then. When exactly if I don't know if you guys have read this any because you two do the research. I do no research. <laughs> um where exactly did Q Trelane get linked up as a Q? Do we, like officially? I don't. There's a book. Yeah. And it might be Q Squared that we're looking at right yeah, now. Yeah, because Trelane's right there on the cover. Because like this yes. is, so I brought my copy of Q Squared with me today while we talked about this because this is the first place that I remember seeing Trelane talked about as a Q. Yeah. Is this yeah. the first place where the link the link was like officially might be made? The only place. Yes, I mean they've gone back and said that Trelane was the inspiration for Q because yeah. I think I think they went through the original, original series and yeah. just kind of picked out bits that they like, which of course is a brilliant yeah, feature. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely, and I think that Trelane was definitely obviously, and I think actually Delancey bases some of his oh yeah some of his performance oh yeah the on the posturing that. in the period dress and the, oh yeah definitely yeah so mm-hmm. it's, it's a definite callback there. I think official canon it might be that book, it might be another one, it might okay. be a. It's never extensively established. It is. But, yeah, yeah, it's in books, I think, is the only time. Otherwise, it's one of those things where um, you know that it's obviously based on that. It's clearly that, but they never actually admit it. Okay. Uh, Pause it, because I'm pretty sure. Okay, we're back from our little break, our research break. Yes. And so the first official connection of Trelane to the Q is Q squared. Yeah. Yes. Yes, by Peter David. Apparently the book that I thought was the most epic book of all time when I first read it. <laughs> Kareen was flipping through it earlier and she's going, yes, yes, yes. there's stuff in parentheses. <laughs> I was maybe 12 or Aww. 13, but I thought that was the greatest book of all time. But more about that in our Star Trek book club. Kim, yes. would you like to talk about Q Squared? Um, yeah, I don't, to be honest, I don't remember a lot about the novel <laughs> itself, but I will read the back cover for you. This, this will give us an idea. Okay, here we go. A dramatic reading <gasps> by Kim. Um, in all of his travels, Captain Jean-Luc Picard has never faced an opponent more powerful than Q, a being from another continuum that Picard encountered on his very first mission as captain of the Starship Enterprise. In the years since, Q has returned again and again to harass Picard and his crew. Sometimes dangerous, sometimes merely obnoxious, Q has always been mysterious and seemingly all-powerful. But this time, when Q appears, he comes to Picard for help. Apparently, another member of the Q continuum has tapped into an awesome power source 
that makes this being more powerful than the combi combined might of the entire Q continuum. This renegade Q is named Trelane, also known as the Squire of Gothos, who Captain Kirk and his crew first encountered over 100 years ago. Q explains that, armed with this incredible power, Trelane has become unspeakably dangerous. Now Picard must get involved in an awesome struggle between super beings, and this time the stakes are not just Picard's ship or the galaxy or even the universe. This time the stakes are all of creation. <laughs> but I remember this because it's part of the multiverse and that there are different decisions or different things that happened within the Star Trek uh, universe that create different timelines and they all kind of converge at once. I may have cried. Yeah, I I seem to remember, and especially just as I'm flipping through this, it's divided up into different tracks. So there's yes. track A, track B. I think there's also a track C at some point. There's and, also a track D. Oh, okay. And oh, then yeah, at okay. some point, like, you start jumping back and forth and they all sort of, like, squoosh together and everything yes. comes... And people die and I cried so hard. And just rereading the first chapter, having to remember which Crusher is which Crusher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were halfway through, you're like, oh, this is Jack Crusher. <laughs> it was very confusing. Trelane is also in a CD-ROM game uh, who's been upgraded to the Baron of Gothos. <laughs> <laughs> That's really nice. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that become canon in, like, CD-ROM games. I have, like, yeah. a, I have, like a, a ship builder game that <gasps> I got for Christmas one year. I have to find it. I don't I even know I where it is. I had that one, too. But it's, that is where um, the... the the two Vulcans are officially declared as twins who are played by the same actor. Yeah. There's uh, Vorek on the Enterprise, and then I forget the name of the character on, right now on Next Gen, but he was in the um, the Below Decks episode in the seventh season. Oh, the Unfun yeah. yeah, it's the same the same actor. So afterwards, they are canonically twins now. Aww. Yeah. Which is awesome, and also sad because they got separated. That's okay. <laughs> Life goes on. Uh, so performance of the episode, I think I can guess that we're all going to say the same person. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. William Campbell kicked yeah. it out of the park. Oh yeah. yeah. It was good. He Definitely. was so charming. And apparently I think it was the, someone, not the casting director, but one guy saw him as like, oh, he's got to do this role. Like he's so good. <laughs> yeah. And the casting director was like, oh, I, I just don't know. I, I maybe have someone else in mind. And so they, they brought him in to read and the end of him doing his monologue, the casting director's like. Oh, yeah, just take him directly to makeup. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. He's so good. Apparently, he dislocated his shoulder oh, while oh. doing the fight scene, but he flung up his arm because he was in so much pain that it actually snapped it right back in. Oh, no. But they did have to delay filming. And he also delayed filming to find a wig, <laughs> Yes, apparently. to find a wig. And... Yes, probably did not get along with William Shatner, but it sounds like very few people did. Well, he had suddenly, uh, he was chewing scenery better than Shatner in this episode. Shatner did not chew a lot of scenery. No, he no. coughed well. Oh, yeah. Good coughing, good Like, tuning. he breathed in that volcano juice real good. Uh-huh. Um, but not, no one else had a lot to do. No. No. It was, it was Trelane and Shatner, or Trelane and Kirk. It was Trelane and Trelane, frankly, Mainly, as far as yes. I was concerned. Trelane and his reflection in the mirror. Yes. <laughs> Both playing it exquisitely, which is yep. interesting because in The Next Generation, when you've got John Delancey and... Holy Patrick Stewart. All I can think is balding. Oh my god. <laughs> Patrick Stewart. I just blanked oh, and went with Patrick Stewart. Right at his face, and I'm like, oh yeah, baldy. <laughs> Oh my You're god! A monster! I am a monster. 
they you never feel that one's overpowering the other. No. I mean, John Delancey is chewing, is spitting out the scenery, and then chewing back up again, and <laughs> spitting and. But Patrick Stewart is Patrick in Stewart. Patrick Stewart's face, but I think that they both come off as They're pretty equals. well balanced. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas in this, like William Campbell kicked it around the block. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. uh I think death count in this episode is zero. Zero. Nobody died. Unless the statues that he blasted were, in fact, just frozen. No, they no, weren't. They're, they're dead statues because the salt monsters are extinct. Yeah. Duh. As far as we knew. Duh. We don't know that for Well, sure. they killed the last buffalo. Yeah. So. Nobody died. Not I a had, single person died. Be less disappointed. I had, well, I had nothing to count. That's true. Um, Ari, your count? I believe we are at five ladies and three people of color. There yeah. were a couple in the background. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim, your life lesson to take away from this. Don't have a duel with an omniscient man. Don't give a child omnipotent powers. I'm going to go with playing the harpist chord is super simple. You just... You can't see what we're doing. Okay, so podcast listeners, or Bailey, essentially you just move your wrist around on top of the keys, but don't actually press them down. And you'll like, know spin you out mean. a minuette. Yeah. <laughs> we have to stop doing visual things on a podcast. <laughs> Just imagine us all nodding. Can you not hear us <laughs> nodding ruefully? Ruefully. Anyways, I think that's it for the Squire of Gothos. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, we've all learned something. And we're really looking forward to the real cue. I don't know. I, I think I would take uh, William Campbell over John Delancey. Controversial statement. Very, very controversial. Very controversial. Defend. No, depends what we're doing with it. <laughs> Maybe better left unsaid at this juncture then. Call me William Campbell from the past. 